All right, let me pray with you, then we're going to jump in. And uh, I've got quite a bit I want to share with you, and I'm looking forward to it. So let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for just uh, bringing us together this morning, and that we have a warm place to meet, a place that we can meet without fear, and a place that we can worship you, learn more about you, and then leave this place empowered to be uh, your people in this world. Just guide us as we go through your word, help us to understand, and uh, help us to put it into practice even more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I will tell you it's a minor miracle, we are having service this morning. Uh, Wayne was here super early and called and said, uh, power's out <laughs> at the church. And this is not the kind of day that you can meet outside and have worship. Although we could try, we could try. Um, and about nine o'clock power was restored. So it was a very quick turnaround and our, our tech team and, uh, our worship team all pulled together and worked hard so that we could be here to, together. So we, I appreciate them, their flexibleness. And if they look a little ragged this morning or a little off, that's why. So, uh, they they really pulled it together quickly. Uh, last week, Scott taught, and uh, I want to continue a little bit on what he talked about and go in a little different direction, but stay on the same topic. We're in the middle of a series called Simple, and the purpose of the Simple series is for us to refocus our attention, our time, and our efforts on what is it that God's actually calling us to. Now, there are a lot of people in the world that wonder, is God still at work? You look at bad things that are happening, you look at their response sometimes and the way Christians are not just portrayed, but sometimes the way Christians act, and it does not look like uh, God is active in a lot of places. But what I find is that God is incredibly active in many lives and in many places and in many churches. One of the problems that we have and the reasons that we struggle to experience Him is because our lives are full of so many good things And yet they crowd out the opportunities to experience the great things in which God is encouraging us in, what he's calling us to, what it looks like to follow him. And I'm excited about the ways that we have the opportunity to do that. However, it does require a conversation about all of the stuff out on the edges. And we need to come back to what is the central message of following Christ. Now, what I find, especially the older I get... I think when you're younger, and this is not a a dig at those who are younger, I think this is just a part of getting tired and old, right? (laughs) At least that's what our younger uh, people in here would say probably. But I do think as you get older, you begin to realize that you try to do a whole lot of stuff in life, and some of it's good, and some of it's not. And at the end, what Jesus is really calling us to do is to embrace a very simple way of living— And let me be very clear, simple does not mean simplistic. There is a difference between simple and simplistic. Simplistic means that it takes little effort, it's not difficult at all, and it's just, you just go do it. Simple means that the concept is simple, although it may be very difficult in order to live it out. So I want you to understand there's a difference between being simple and simplistic. Now we began the series just going back and talking about having a simple faith. Now, we make faith about all kinds of things, but at its core, God is asking us to think enough of him to trust him and to follow him. In fact, whenever we are giving some kind of a profession of faith, what we are basically saying is, I believe you are true, I believe you are good, I believe what you say is real, and I believe that I need to follow you in the ways that you call me. Very very simple what he's calling us to in faith. 
We follow that up by talking about simple worship and the reality that worship is not necessarily supposed to be all that we make it. We often come waiting for us to be presented some kind of a program of worship on a Sunday morning, but that is not what worship is. Sometimes we attach things to worship that God never attached to worship. The way you worship, the style of music you worship, what color the carpet is in which in the place in which you worship. We we like to attack attach all these things. In some circles it's the version of the Bible that you read. We attach things to worship, but what God is saying is, I want you to recognize my majesty and that I want to share that with you, but we in our worship simply give him worship and praise because he is one who is to be worshiped. Last week Scott talked about simple love. And I want to readdress simple love again. I'm going to pick up a little bit about what he talked about, but there are a few other things that I want to talk about as well. And I want to start with 1 John chapter 2, because at its core, and what Scott shared last week, we are called to love people. Now, the problem is, is whenever we ask three people, what does it look like to love somebody? You get three different answers, don't you? In fact, if we were to go through the room and everybody said, well, this is what it looks like to love somebody, or this is what it looks like to be loved, we would probably all have some different response. But Scripture is very clear that the concept of love is very simple. When we make it complex, we take away the power of what love is. And so I want us to go through that and understand just a few things. We're going to begin with 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to weigh, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Which is interesting because Jesus frames several conversations all within the context of love. He says, if you know me, you are going to walk like me. And if you want to demonstrate love, then that means you are going to follow my commandments. You're going to follow my teachings. But at the end of the day, if we're going to have a discussion about love, because we all have a different definition or a different expression, some of you have been through the study, the five love languages, and and, and it maybe helped your relationships in which you know, you know, I feel loved when you do stuff for me, or I feel loved when you say encouraging positive things to me, or I feel love when we're just together. There's all kinds of ways we can feel it, but if we're going to truly have a conversation about simple love, we have to come to the place of understanding, well then what is it as God describes? And as we begin that, we have to understand this very simple concept, we as followers of Christ must mimic Christ. Now I can give you what I believe is the very best definition of love. I can give you the way I think you should do it and the actions I think that you should follow and the words I think you should say, and I can give you that list. In fact, you can read a whole bunch of books on this topic. There are lots of Christians that will provide you with a list on what to do, how to do it, who to do it to, and and who not to do it to. 
But at the end of the day, if we're going to just draw back to what is the core of the gospel, we will mimic Christ. That is important. Once we understand that, then we can eliminate most of the arguments that are out there and we can begin to hone in on, well, if we're going to mimic Christ and what he taught, then how does Jesus love others? Now, before you push back and say, well, Jesus was the son of God, Jesus was God, and I'm not, and I know he's fully human, but he's also fully God, and I don't, the reality is, is that Jesus never made that differentiation when he called us to follow him. He said, when I show you what it looks like, I want you to mimic what I'm doing. Now, the reality is, 2,000 years later, we're still struggling with figuring that out. We still argue about it. We still struggle with how to live within that. And so what I think some of what Scott shared last week and what I want to share with you today is, again, just to refocus on this and what he says. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40 says, he said to him, you shall have, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now Scott shared last week, went through the Ten Commandments and shared how each of those, and if you will look and what Jesus is saying here, is that everything God talked about in the Old Testament, everything then that Jesus began in the New Covenant, in His blood, was all focused around these two things. They're not separate issues. It's the same issue. God is continually calling us to be a people of love, and He is continually putting in front of us that before everything, there is one thing that we must stay true to, and that is our love for God. Our love for God. The most important commandment from Jesus for all of life is to love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. That comes before anything else. That is the foundation for which everything else flows. Our ability to follow Him flows from the reality of whether or not we love Him. The ability to love other people, which is where we get a little sticky, right? Flows not from our ability to know exactly how to share love, but instead flows from our own love for God, it is the foundation for everything. And what he's saying a close second is this, is to love other people like you love yourself. Now, I will have to say that is a very subjective verse, isn't it? Some of us love ourselves a little better than others. <laughs> Sometimes if we think about loving someone else like ourselves, I think, oh, I hope I can love them better than that. Do you ever give yourself a hard time? Does anybody in here do that? Yeah, a few people, a couple. Do you ever think, man, other people are better than me? Yeah, that happened. So sometimes loving other people like ourselves is loving other people better than we love ourselves sometimes. Jesus is not saying don't love yourself. 
But Jesus is saying something very crucial here. And that is, is that first and foremost, we cannot understand the love of Christ or the gospel or what it looks like to follow him because he says, you will walk in love when you walk like me. And he is saying to walk like him means that we have to love God first and then we have to love others like ourselves. But literally what he's saying here is, I have to come to a place within my heart and within my life that I can step out of my shoes And I can step into your shoes and I can determine how to best love you. And I will tell you, historically, we are not good at this. How many times do we just wish other people knew what we were going through? How many times do we wish they knew our past or how we came to a certain place in our faith or came to a certain way of seeing the world or came to a certain way of of engaging with people? Maybe there's a reason I don't come to everything. Maybe there's a reason that whenever we sing this song, tears start streaming down my face. Maybe there's a reason when this topic is talked about, I get so emotional and I just, I, I need to step out. There may be a reason for that. How many times have we within our lives said, I just wish people understood what I'm going through. And the reality is, is that Jesus taught us in loving someone like we love ourselves, what he's literally saying is get out of your shoes, come over here and step into their shoes. Now, how do we do that? How do you get to know somebody like that? Perhaps you can ask this question of yourself. How have you experienced that with someone else? It doesn't happen in one conversation, does it? It doesn't happen at the break table generally at work. It doesn't happen in the few minutes in which you come in here or the few minutes after this service is over and you leave. You don't step into someone else's shoes until you come to the place in which you're able to understand where they're coming from. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a willingness to say, I don't know you. I don't know what you've been through. And I don't know that I can even possibly understand what you're going through. But I'm here and I want to learn because you're important to me. We do that within our families. We do that within our good friends. And what Jesus is literally telling us is you're supposed to do this with everybody you come in contact with. That can feel a little overwhelming, can it? How can I possibly have this kind of a relationship with every person I come in contact with? And truthfully, you're not going to be able to. There are people that just you run into, maybe it's an acquaintance, maybe you see them. You're not, you shouldn't necessarily go every time you go into Walmart and get in the line and say, now tell me your life story. (laughs) What are your deepest pains and and hurts? Can you just share with me your biggest mistakes in life? I just want to get to know you. Don't do that. Don't do that. We can't be drive-by people who are trying to relate that way. I mean, it's invest. Or at least if you are not able to invest, withhold judgment. Because we don't know what everyone else is going through. So when we come and we look at what Jesus is saying... Everything hinges on this. Now, this is not an additional teaching of Jesus. This is the way we view the world. Okay, I have the way I live my life at work. I have the way I live my life at home. I have the way I live my life at church. I have the way I live my life when I'm in a room by myself or if I'm in a room with a lot of other people. I have all these different me's depending on where I am. So many times we read scripture in this way and this is why you get frustrated and you stop reading because you're like, I can't keep all this straight. 
I'm reading over here, and it's talking about this, and I'm reading over here, and it's talking about that, and I, I see Paul talking about this thing, and, and James is talking about this thing, and here Peter's talking about this thing, and they don't even seem to agree. I can't keep it all straight. And that is why some people will end up approaching Scripture completely from an academic perspective. I've got to figure all this out. I've got to learn and remember all this stuff. And what Jesus is saying is, everything you're going to read in here, Everything from the beginning to the end, every single message, no matter how you want to interpret it, should be interpreted to drive us all into two places. And the very first one is, is that you love God with everything. And the second one is, you share that love with everyone else you come in contact with. That's it. If you will read scripture through this lens, it will revolutionize the way you read scripture. It will change the way you understand things. And even in the places where we are so harsh to say the Bible is too judgmental, we will begin to understand that what the Bible is doing is trying to get us out of the worldly way of living and into a way that exists just like this. Loving God and loving each other. If you want to do something fun, read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It is a laugh riot, let me tell you. You are going to get in there and be like, I can't stop. I cannot peel myself away from this book. This is so engaging. I mean, this is like, how is this not on the bestseller list? Just by itself. But if you actually pay attention, here's what you will see. You will see that most of these laws, and this is what Scott shared last week, most of these laws, most of these instructions, not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the law, pushes you to be a good friend, a good neighbor, a good husband or wife, son or daughter, follower of Jesus. Now we get hung up on certain passages of Scripture because he says some pretty uh, incredible things like, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I've got both my eyes. I don't like that verse. I don't follow it to the letter. I'll tell you straight up right now. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, there are a lot of people that love those kinds of scriptures. Because they're so bent on what I'm going to talk about in a minute, which is our greatest tension with love. Our greatest tension with love is our tension to be holy or right. This is always intention. We're always going to struggle with this. And this is where our Christian struggle is not just now, has always been, always will be. And so what he's saying is not, I want you to go out and find everyone who's not loving me well, and I want you to gouge their eye out, and I want you to cut their hand off. But there are people who read it like that. Instead, he's saying it would be better if, because you are missing the point of the whole story. You see, if you could live within the kind of love that he's talking about without a hand or without an eye, it's worth it. If you can see God and through these eyes in which you are saying, I'm walking away from this way the world does things because there's a better way over here, it is worth whatever it takes to live within that. Worth it so much so that Jesus came here and was nailed to a cross for us. It is worth it. So many people misunderstand scripture because they think that God is out there just trying to get you to be right and holy. And if you're not, he wants to punish you and he wants to punish you good. 
That is not what the message of Jesus is. That is not the message of the Old Testament. That is not the message of God's old or new covenant. The message is there is a better way if you will follow it. But you are so stuck in the way the world does things. He wants to pull us out of it. So how do we do that? A lot of times we read things like this. The, the way we approach them is, okay, well then tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I want it. I want it. I want that kind of love. I want to love God. I want to love other people. Tell me, tell me what I'm supposed to do here. And that's really what a lot of sermons end up being. How to do it. How to do this. But this is not really what Jesus is trying to say. This is not really what he's trying to get us to. It's not really about us just talking about all of that and give you a list that just grows every time you come and hear a sermon. The point is it is literally supposed to change the way we see, the way we relate to others. You know, the way that we have relationships with others is the way we relate to others. Amen? The people I want to be with, I relate very well with. The people I don't want to be with, I do not relate at all with. Would you say that's true? We have similar interests. We like similar things. We see the world a similar way. Whenever I talk, I, I, can, I hear what you're saying. Whenever you talk, you know, or I talk, you hear what I'm saying. Relationships are all about relating to people, but you can't relate to people until you know somebody. And so many of the arguments that we have all over social media and in our churches are based around the very fact that we're trying to define a person without ever having to relate to them. And when we begin to relate to them, all of a sudden our eyes open, the world gets bigger, and we realize, oh, I get it now. I understand. And then at that point, we are able to start loving. Being able to relate to someone else is not only a gift, it is the call of following Christ. This is what it looks like to follow him and to love other people, relating to others. No matter how different they are, no matter even if they hate you. This is why scripture talks about love your enemy, pray for them. (laughs) Because this is a call not just for those that we like or that like us. This is a call to everybody. And guess what? There are some people that don't like us. And well, you know what? Maybe we don't like them either. And the way the world is just to say, you stay over there, I'll stay over here. I stay with my people, you stay with your people. And never us two shall meet. That is the way most people live their lives. That is not the way Jesus lived his. In fact, the Pharisees were so upset with him most of the time because he would honest, often cross those lines with others that they were, he was not supposed to be hanging out with. He crossed them over and over and over again. If we're going to mimic Christ, we have to mimic the way in which Christ loves. Period. Every instruction in Scripture is pointing to us growing in loving God and loving others. And, and here's the truth, and I, I want to jump into 1 John 4. But it says, we, it, well, we'll get to First John 4. But one of the crucial things we have to understand, if this is going to be a reality in our lives, is where does this come from? Because if the world does it one way, and we are fully entrenched in the world, how do we get to the way Jesus does it? Right? If it's not a list, then what is it? We love because he loves us. Did you know that? Your ability to love anybody your spouse, your kids, your job, your pet. Your ability to love anything comes from one place and one place, according to Scripture, and that is God's love for you. Did you know that? 
So if you're able to love, it is because of an outpouring of God's love for you. So how do we then experience within our own lives that love for others? How do we do that if that is pouring out from God? We love because he loves us and we learn to love others the way he loves others. First John chapter 4, I just want to go through this. I want to break it up a little bit. It says, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is what? From God. From where? Not Valentine's Day. Not the florist. Not the candy store. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been what? Oh, man. What if we just stopped and just lived this verse out? I mean, I think this is enough to last us for a few years, probably. Let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then he goes on and says in verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. I read that and I think, oh, sometimes I'm an, I feel like I don't know God very well. Do you all ever have those moments? Like you look back after an exchange, you're like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I believe that. I didn't love well. Because I, 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 I want to be in the first part, right? I want to be in the first part and that I love because I've been born of God and because I know God. I don't want to be in the part that I don't love because I don't know God. And when we read this, this is so crucial for us to understand what it looks like to have simple love for others. That whenever we put whatever filter we want to to determine who we will and who we will not love, we are missing this greater, bigger point. If you do not love, you do not know God And if you do love, it is because you know God. You think, well, gosh, I know a lot of people who love things that aren't Christians. Is it possible that their understanding of love is different than Christ's? Or is it possible that God is sharing this love in ways to people who don't even claim to be followers of His? we look at this and just take it for face value it literally just says we should love each other three things from this these little passages right here we should love each other you you would agree with that i'm sure you're here it's you're like okay move on we got it i just want to make sure we've got it john 13 34 and 35 jesus says this about the new commandment he was giving he says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We read that a lot here because I just think this is so devoid within the church and so important. The indicating factor of a church that that follows God is one that loves each other. That is the indicating factor. And what we can see through these, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, John 13, 34 and 35 is those who know how to love well know God. That's where it comes from. That is not only just the foundation, that is the spring in which he is constantly flowing within our lives, showing us love so we can go out into others. And a third thing out of these are this, those who do not show love do not know God. We have to understand this. Honestly, every time we say something, this needs to be the filter in which it goes. Every time we post something, this needs to be the filter in which we post before we post 
Those who know how to love well know God. Those who do not show love do not know God. 1 John 4, back to 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10 says, In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Now Jesus is, or John is beginning to frame what exactly it means to love. What is the love that Jesus is offering us? Let me read that again. In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us. This is how he did it. How he manifested this love in a a visible, physical way among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, when we do begin to describe or define love based on the way that Jesus loved, it was directly tied to our ability to overcome sin and to be with him forever. This was the primary way in which he's showing love for us. And he loved us first. This was all initiated because of him, not because of us. So love is tied up very much so in the gospel. Jesus was God's greatest act of love towards us. When he came and he walked and he taught, but more importantly, when he died, when he rose again, that was the love that he was sharing with us to escape this world, to escape sin, to no longer be oppressed or shackled to it, and instead to be free to experience a different way. This is what we desire for others. This is where the gospel gets a little screwy for people. Because for some, the gospel is tied up in being right. For others, the gospel is tied up in knowing Christ. Those are two different things. When I'm tied up in the gospel being right, I want you to know everywhere you're wrong. I will tell you everywhere you're wrong. And if you want to be right with God, you will agree with me in every place that you're wrong. And yet, funny thing, I don't enjoy those conversations. Do you? (laughs) Do you love those people who come up and tell you you're wrong? Aren't they lovely people? Do you schedule time every week to spend time with them? Oh, would you come? I just, you know what I I need? I need some time for you to tell me I'm wrong. That's what I need right now. My week's kind of rough, but that would be a good pick-me-up. Can you come tell me where I'm wrong? None of us do that. None of us feel that. And there is a tension, again, between love and holiness. However, when we begin to understand that the gospel is not just about telling someone they're wrong and I'm right, we still understand there's a greater call out there that he's pulling us to, that if we accept it, we experience it, and that is love with him and love with each other. What if that's what heaven is all about? We just all love everybody. And I know some of you are are realists or... You, like me, sometimes struggle with cynicism, and you think, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Heaven, everyone's just going to walk around being in love with each other. It's just going to be wonderful. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you, maybe not in the way that we define love, but in the way that he does, it will be wonderful. If we define it by we all have to be exactly the same, I don't know that that's going to be heaven. So as we look through this, when we begin to understand, we understand that what he's trying to show us is that the love begins in him showing it to us with Jesus on the cross. 
1 John 4, 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The way we love others can, and I say can, demonstrate God's love to them. I say can because that doesn't mean it always will. This is the frustration of living in a fallen place and the effects of sin on us, misunderstanding on us. This is also where we return back to, are we relating as we share this with them? Because if I don't understand where you've come from, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the pain that you've experienced. I don't know where you're at, but I'm trying to push all this on you. They are not likely to receive. We may perceive it as love, but that doesn't mean that they will. But what he is saying within these verses is, in the way that we demonstrate God's love for others, we have the opportunity to demonstrate that God loves them by the way we love them. What if you walked out of your house every day and God said, okay, listen, while you're out, would you show everyone you come in contact with that I love them? And you think, oh, that's crazy. Well, that's scripture. That's, that's what he's saying, literally. Hey, while you're out, while you are in line at Walmart, and I know there are 5,000 checkout lines and only one cashier ever, and you're frustrated, and the person did not, hey, bought every item that's in their cart does not have a barcode on it. I know. Would you be sure and let them know how much I love them? Doesn't that change the way we respond to people? How about we're driving to work? And I know, I know, it's like everyone has to get there before you, right? It's like if, if, if they get there, they've got to work longer. So whoever gets there first gets to leave work early. And so they're going to beat you no matter what. And you're just thinking, oh, how lovely. They're excited to get to work because that's what you're thinking, right? <laughs> and what if God said, you know, that person's about to cut you off and you want to say some things to them. Would you be sure they know that I love them? Would you be sure? Whenever the next issue comes up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or I don't know, Snapchat or wherever else everyone is. Pinterest, for those of you who just want to go buy more stuff, I think that's all Pinterest is good for. Oh, there's some Pinterest fans in here. Oh, not feeling very loved. I'm not feeling very loved. That's what's going on right now. (laughs) What if the next time before you post, God was just whispered in your ear and said, would you please make sure they know I love them? Would that not change the way we respond to people or the way they respond to us? Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I think the very same thing sometimes. Well, that's great for those people who are thinking the same thing I am. But what about those people who can't stand God and think that Christians are idiots? Do it anyways. You know, this is one of the reasons that Jesus told us some very difficult things. (laughs) Like, if someone asks to take your coat, give them more. Someone hits you on the side of the face, turn the other cheek. If someone wants you to die a terrible, awful death, pray for them because he knew we were going to struggle with this 
because our heart is still rooted into this world as it is slowly being transformed into the image of Christ. And in those moments, God is saying, make sure everyone knows that I love them because if they get it, what's going to happen is they're going to love me and they're going to love everyone else because this is what all of the law and the prophets hinge on. This ability to love. Would that change the way we respond to others? Would that change the way that we spend time with others? Would that change the way that we approach difficult issues or things that we have disagreements on? I think it would. The way we love others can demonstrate God's love to them. 1 John 4.13, John goes on and he explains how deep this love really is, how far this, he's really going with this, how serious he really wants us to take this. He says in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God, which if we take this with what we've already read from John, that the reality in in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and yet also God is not abiding in anyone who is not showing love. What he's saying is we don't actually get the point of confession. We don't actually get the point of salvation, and we don't actually get what God's trying to do if we don't understand it within the context of love. It is within the context of love that we can truly confess our sins and truly receive the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it happens. It is always through love. There is no way to separate these things. I know everything within your life tries to get you to separate love. Love is held for those other moments of life, for those that we carefully craft and we pull ourselves aside for. We make sure we only let a few people in that circle. That's what love is supposed to be. And then there's all this other stuff. We're just trying to survive it. That is not what God is saying. It all is about love. And the reality is, is that if we're going to put filters in front of our eyes to decide who we will and who we will not love, that is a hard life. That is a hard life. Who am I to judge who deserves love and who doesn't? How do we come to this and understand what he's trying to tell us here? Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Again, he's trying to get past the idea that love is an action. Love is a way of being. This is the way of being for God. God is love. God doesn't sit around and come up with, okay, how do I want you to love people? He just says, just love. Just love. Just be love. But somewhere within our, our Christian circles, we have so focused on being right that we allow that to supersede love. And within that, so many people walk away from faith, walk away from the church, and will never listen to God. And God will say, that is not my representation of what my son did on a cross. Because I told them to love you. Not tell you that they're right and you're wrong. There is a, a right and a wrong Don't misunderstand. There is a right and a wrong. We don't erase that. God doesn't erase that. Jesus didn't erase that. But the way Jesus approached it was very different than often the way we internally try to approach it. 
Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. And part of what he's talking about here is not that you'll love so much that you don't, you're never afraid of anything. But when we understand that what he's offering us is salvation, once we receive it, we have no fear because we have experienced this way of love through him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for love has to do with punishment. Excuse me, for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What if we really believe this stuff? How would it change our behavior? How would it change the way we talk? How would it change the circle of people that we call our friends? Our ability to love comes directly from God's love for us. And if we're going to talk about, well, what does it mean to have simple love? Simple love means that we do not have to agree with someone to love them. I think one of the things, if we, you know, people joke about, well, we need to have home ec back in uh, school so people know how to cook something (laughs) well maybe you know what else we need we need a class on how to disagree (laughs) that's what we need because we don't do it well we agree well we don't disagree well we disagree we get mad sparks fly and then we figure out the best argument five minutes after the conversation how we could have gotten them to agree with us had we just been able to think of it in time. Simple love means we do not have to agree with someone to love them. I know the issues that are at stake in the world. I know there's great evil in the world. And there are times we have to stand up and say that is wrong and that needs to stop. And sometimes we need to get in front of the bullet headed for somebody else. There's lots of evil in the world. But Jesus never said, okay, here's how I want you to fix this. You find every single person who doesn't agree with you and you tell them. (laughs) He never said that. He never said that. Now, a lot of people disagree with Jesus. (laughs) A whole lot of people. Jesus disagreed with a lot of people. And the reality is, is the way that Jesus handled it was he related with them first. He offered them something better second. And then in passing, he said, go and sin no more. You want examples of that? How about the woman caught in adultery? She's pulled out. The law says you're caught in adultery. You need to be stoned. So men were lined up, ready to do it. All right, we caught her. Jesus walks up. Funny thing is, Jesus, Jesus did not stand in the middle of the square town square and preach on adultery. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He never did that. That's so interesting. He never got into the temple and started, as far as we know, maybe he did, and we just they just didn't record it, although if they did, I think they would have recorded this. He did go in there and tell everybody, this is where you're wrong. Instead he went over and he knelt down and drew in the dirt and I don't know what he drew in the dirt. I always imagine he drew like, he started naming sins and all the guys, like of all the people standing around, you know, he just kind of tapped into that omniscience moment, started naming sins and everybody holding a rock was like, 
I'm out of here, you know. I just, I don't know if that's what he did, but I think it's fun to think of it that way. Drew in the dirt, but what is his response? You who are without sin, cast the first stone. And as everyone has left, and he picks this woman up, he simply says, I'll go and sin no more. Her repentance was not necessary for his act of love. Her saying, I love Jesus and I want to follow him for the rest of my life. Maybe that crossed her lips. Maybe it didn't. We don't know. We've talked quite a bit over the last few weeks about the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus walks up and he's thirsty. And first and foremost, he shouldn't have been talking to her based on Jewish customs and culture. And yet he did. And he asked for a drink. And she offered. What did Jesus say to her? He knows that she is sleeping around with other people. And he could have just come in and said, listen, I need someone. Is there someone who's less sinful than you to offer me some water in this place? But instead, he offers her what? Do you remember? I've got something for you. I've got something for you. It is living water and the kind of water that I want to offer you. Guess what? You will never thirst again. And then he brings up her husband or lack thereof. See, Jesus didn't shy away from issues that brought oppression and hurt in other people. He just didn't lead with it. And the reality is we cannot reach people and let them understand how much God loves them by leading with what we perceive to be their greatest sins. Instead, we've got to offer them something better. The whole point of the whole exercise, because if the point of the exercise is being right, we are all doomed. The point of the exercise is that we love. We love. And what happens if we take all those filters off and all that energy trying to determine whether someone's worthy of that love and we just say, I'm just going to love you. I don't know who you are yet. I don't really know what's going on in your life. I don't know why you're the way you are. I don't know why you're saying the things you're saying. But you know what? I'm just going to love you because that's, that's all I know from God. Because that's what he is and that's what he told me to do. I'm just going to love you. What would happen if we did that as the body of Christ, the bigger body of Christ within Chattanooga, within our country, within the world? What would happen? I mean, talk about heaven coming to earth. It would be incredible. Simple love means that we do not have to agree with someone to love them. John 15 says this. This is my commandment that you have that. Uh, let me back up. I'm jumping ahead. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. What do you think he's referencing here, by the way? You are my friends if you do what I command you. What is he commanding us? Love God. Love everybody else. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I commanded you so that you will love one another. Two main ideas here. Number one, the more we love him, the more we will love others. 
Now listen, I don't have to stand up and say, some of you people aren't loving because once you begin to understand that, then you be, then you just, you know it, right? I read that and I go, oh man, I got to do better. The more we love him, the more we will love others. Consequently, the more we love others, the more we understand his love for us. And at the end of the day, if you're not sure you have what it takes to love others, I question whether you've truly yet experienced the love of God in your life because it is living water that flows forever. When you are empty from loving others, his love fills us back up. When you look at someone and say, you have hurt me so terribly deeply, I will never forgive you, his love overwhelms you and we realize, oh, what God has forgiven me for. And yet he still loves me, fills you up. It is the truth of these verses that we give lip service to, but we don't necessarily embrace within our own hearts and within our own lives. The common conflict, let me end with this. And we could really go into depth here, but I'm not going to. The common conflict is to be holy and to be loving. This is that tension I talked about. We are called to be holy as well, which means if you come from the perspective and everything you heard me say today is this, you know what? Don't worry about anything else. Just be nice to people. That is not what I've just spent the last 40 minutes talking about. That is not what I've been saying. There is a tension between loving and and being holy. There is a tension in following what Jesus is saying and charting our own path. What I do hope you've also heard me saying is if you are right, what it tends to do is expand love, not condemnation. If you are getting this right, love grows, not shrinks. And the point of being right is getting people unshackled from sin and a world that's dragging them down so that they can experience the freedom of knowing Christ and what he wants to do within their lives. If we're going to become like Christ, we do have to pursue holiness. It would be a mistake to think that we do that intuitively. I don't do it intuitively. I am motivated intuitively. I don't act in a holy way intuitively. I have to read scripture and go, oh, I need to start doing that. Along the way, something changes in us though, because again, what he's trying to change is our basic fundamental understanding of who we are and how we live. That love is not an action. Love is not a part of life. Love is life. Love is identity. Love is being. Love is the point. When we begin to understand this, this will change the way we treat others, the way we see others. Jesus isn't asking us to ignore unrighteousness, but he is asking us to approach it with love. There was a story, I don't, I don't think it's a real story, but it could have been, it could happen. All, it could be happening right now. I remember a story long ago that first caught my attention, and I just, you know, when you hear stories and that you just, they illustrate a point and you just get it right away, and of course now that I've introduced it that way, I'll totally mess it up, but... I was told a story of a man who was on a bus, had his two kids with him. 
man was looking out the window and his two kids were going nuts on the bus. Some of you are already getting anxious. They were running around, being loud, screaming, talking, playing. You can imagine the response from everybody else on the bus. Why is he not controlling his kids? Why is he letting them run wild on this bus? And eventually someone who was looking on and just couldn't take it anymore, and the man just seemed completely disengaged, a terrible father, someone who didn't care about the effects of his children around anyone around them, finally had to speak up and say something to him. They serve, why don't you keep a handle on your kids? Don't you see what they're doing here? And the man turned and looked at this person, with tears coming down his eyes, saying, oh, I'm so sorry. My wife was just killed in a car accident. And I've not told the kids yet. I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, in that moment, our ability to relate to someone changes, doesn't it? All that judgment. Why aren't they controlling their kids? Why aren't they on top of their kids? And the moment turns to compassion. Oh, what, how can I help? This is just a story. I don't know that this was a real person, but it could have been. These things happen every day all around the world. But what happens if we, instead of jumping to conclusions, determine we're going to get the story first? What happens if we say, I get it, life is difficult. And, and, and sometimes, I know this is hard to say, sometimes I'm wrong. We're going to edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> there have been times in my life I have been certain. I have known what I believe. I have known what is right. And then something happens in my faith with God and I realize, oh, I was so wrong. And then Jesus appears before me, beats me up with a two by four and tells me I'm done. He'll never talk to me again. Actually, that's never happened. Instead, with open arms, Jesus says, go and sin no more. What a picture of grace and mercy. So what happens if we leave this place today with the mandate, with God saying to us, every person you run into, I don't care who they are, make sure they know I love them. How does that change the way we respond to people? How does that change the way we see people? How does that change the way we talk to people? How does that change the way we post on social media? How does that change the way we talk about God? How does that change the way we see God? Because this is what he's calling us to. Now remember, I said this is simple, not simplistic. Simplistic just says, oh, I'm just going out and love. It's going to be all, it's going to be great. Everyone's just going to be so happy about me loving them. It's going to be wonderful. Not simplistic. In fact, it can get really super complicated, really fast. It can get really hard, really fast. <laughs> but we do come back to what's simple. And if the Holy Spirit is within us, whispering, showing us, teaching us, then he will help us in those moments to know how do we show them your love now. It's not easy, but it is simple. I do want you to know that the world does not want you to fulfill this command. They don't want you doing this. You think they want you to do this. 
They don't want you doing this. They want us at odds with each other because that keeps us distracted. Because what Jesus says is, as we love, we become one, we become united. The world doesn't want us to be united because the world changes when we're united. The world becomes better when we're united. The world is still motivated and pushed by a very evil presence from the very beginning of time. It is still influencing it so that we will miss this gospel. The world doesn't want you to fulfill this command. They want you to hate. They want you to judge. They want you to be divided into camps. I, for one, am done with that. I'm done with it. What does it look like for us to be done with that and to embrace this teaching of being those who share his love with others? Simple love is this. Loving God, letting that love spill over to everyone else around you. And I will tell you, if you are looking for a life of seeing God being active within you and to see the world change around you, this will change the world around you if we will do it. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I know there are those in this room and they are here and they do not feel loved and they wonder, does anyone love? And Father, I pray that in just some way, they will experience that today. I pray that when we walk into this place, this will not just be a place where we come and we experience something or we come and we listen to a sermon or we listen to music, but this is a place where we come intending to love each other as we walk in the door, as we walk out the door, everything in between and everything outside of these walls, that we will demonstrate this love. I know you are working to make all things new and we are entrenched in the old and the corrupt. God, I pray that within this place, you would open us up, you would enlarge our hearts, and that we would leave out of this place, letting everyone we come in contact know in some way, God loves them. I thank you that we have experienced that ourselves because you said that we are only able to do this because you loved us first. So let us freely and fully walk within this and live it out outside of these walls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.